That's a big one. If there really is a God, and I was able to ask one question, why I wasn't dunking when I was 10 years old. <laughs> That's a good one. What's next? That'd be my question. I'll probably ask me to um, the win numbers on the lottery number, probably. Looks <laughs> like he's gonna retire. What's heaven like? I'd probably ask him what is he scared of. I don't think I would ask God a question, because I don't want to know. What happens when I die? Can I come back? Why couldn't my parents stay together when I was a kid? How did I get on this path that I'm on? What their plan was for all this, and whether or not we, uh, we lived up to it. Am I doing this right? How'd I do? How'd I do? <laughs> That's what I'd ask. How'd I do? If what I'm doing is kind of like aligned with my purpose in life, I would ask God, are we cool? I guess the ultimate question would be why? Why this and not nothing? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why the struggle? I would ask him why he made life so hard sometimes. Some good questions. What questions would you ask God if you could ask him anything at all? I know what I'd ask him. Why mosquitoes? <laughs> Why poison ivy? Things, things like that. No, big questions. We have big questions in life. We're beginning a new series today called Asking for a Friend. Because I do think we have lots of questions. We all have questions that we ask, and, and, and there's conversations that we have. And I think sometimes in everyday life, we don't get to some of these deeper questions. We talk about the weather, we talk about sports, we talk about the latest news happenings, we talk about what's going on at the office or in the neighborhood, but we need to take some time to ask some of the fundamental questions, some of the bigger questions. Why are we here? What is this all about? Who is Jesus? Is the Bible real? Can we trust the scriptures? How do I pray? What is this deal about the Holy Spirit? How do we, how do we hear from God? And over these next several weeks, we're going to go through these kinds of questions. We're going to dig deeper and say, okay, how do we find some of these answers? Now, one thing I, I, I want to let you know is we're using as, a, as foundational resources, um, resources from Alpha. Alpha is a program that Nikki Gumbel created in, in England, and it has been used around the world to help people who are exploring faith, to answer some of these questions, to dive a little deeper. And so we're going to use some of those resources like that video and, and to help us during this time. We also have some journals that we've uh, made for you that are good all the way through Easter through the series. So I hope that you get into those journals if you um, have them. If you haven't already, we, you can grab one before you leave today. There's a daily uh, scripture, an opportunity for prayer, questions for groups to discuss, and just a chance to go deeper to take some notes and answer some of these more difficult questions. So if you're newer to faith... Or if you're seeking, or if you're searching, if you're not sure, if you're joining online saying, I just have some of these questions, this is an amazing series for you to go deeper. Some of you, I know, have been believers and followers of Jesus for a really long time, and it's important for us, time and again, to go back to, the, to some foundational truths, to be reminded of things that are very important, or to help us in the way that we engage those who are searching in their faith. And so this series can really help all of us along this journey. But my hope is that over the next several weeks, as we head into this time of preparation before Easter, that God would spark something in your soul, that God would renew something in you. It's a great time as we lead into Easter to really do some of that soul searching and to say, okay, God, I want to have a deeper relationship with you. I want to commit myself in a further way with you. And so today we're going to begin with this first question, and that is, is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than this? How many times have you either wondered that or thought that in some way? Is, that, is this all there is? 
What's this all about? Why on earth am I here? And I think it's a question of fundamental human existence that every one of us who has a heartbeat needs to ask this question, to to ask, why are we here? What is this all about? So this question, is there more to life than this? I had that question answered for me at an early age growing up. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church, grew up in that way, and the resounding answer was yes. Yes, there is more to life than this. And it was reinforced in my home. It was reinforced in in the children's ministry and in the student ministry. And when I went to youth camps and on missions trips, it it was this awareness. Yes, there's more to this life. There's a spiritual reality. And so I had that foundation And it began to be something that changed my life. But as I grew older as well, and in my teenage years, and in my early 20s, I really had to do some wrestling through and asking this question, is it real though? Is this true? Is what I'm being taught? Is there more to life than this? What's this life all about? I remember, especially through high school and and college, wondering what's there? Is Is it about, what's the purpose? Where do I find fulfillment? Is it in girls? Is it in relationships? Is it in sex? Is it in, in going to, on spring break and having you know, all the fun and going crazy? Is it found in good grades? Is it found in success in sports? Is it found in doing well in, in college? Where do I find it? Is it in, the, in having my car and, and adding all the accessories and adding the subwoofer and the amps? Anyone get into that stage? Any of you guys out there, right? Had to have the bazooka back in the old days, getting that bass kicking, you know, license plate rattling. All right, I digress. You know, those are, those are important when you're a young teenage guy in your car, right, doing those things and, and wondering, what is this all about? Is there more to life in this? And, and, and seeking that out, and I think what I began to see was there's these two, two very opposite paths. I'd see my family life and church life and those around us, and I'd be like, that's what one group is saying, this is what life is about. And then I'd look at school and at church and my friends and what I saw on TV and in the movies and society, and they seemed like polar opposites because they were. There's a question of, okay, which path do I choose? Which direction do I go? Where is the truth? And quite honestly, sometimes it felt like the church and Christianity was a wet blanket on anything fun in this world, right? The fun police. That's the church. That's Christianity. There's, there's, life isn't there. Life is found somewhere else and had to go through this wrestling of, of where is the truth? Where is fulfillment found? And I had to make that decision. I had to come to a place to ask that question, what is this all about? How do I know? And I had to discover it. And here, you know what the truth is? You have to do that too. Every one of us has to decide. Each one of us has to make a, uh, answer that question. Is there more to life than this? And what is it that I'm pursuing? What is it that I'm investing my life in? The question when we ask, is there more to life than this, is a question of what ultimately satisfies the longing in our heart. What is it that, what is it that we're looking for? Now, we live in America, and the question that we you know, often hear or a statement that we sometimes hear is, uh, if it makes you happy... You've heard it, (laughs) right? Happiness. I mean, what's more than American than the pursuit of happiness? So what makes you happy? Does that lead you to fulfillment? So let's go back on the street and hear what some other people think might make them happy. Maybe this is you as well. As of lately, a lot of picnics. Traveling, games, and fishing. Yoga, poetry, kissing. Love, love fishing. Skateboarding. Basketball. Basketball makes me happy. You want to go first? Uh, love. Yeah, love is good. Shopping. Coffee. 
That's an easy one. Meeting new people makes me happy. Positive energy. People around me. Vacation, food, puppies. Getting my nails done. <laughs> music. I was going to say music too. Yeah. <laughs> Something that I create. God makes me happy and nature. Nature. Biking around. A good sunset. Connecting with people. Looking at trees and everything and looking just, it's just all a miracle for me. Feeling like I don't have any pressure on me makes me happy. Feeling like there's some purpose like in my life. A good nap. Good food. Working out and spending quality time with my family. I think that's a good answer. What makes you happy? Take one moment and turn to one person and tell them one thing that makes you happy. Go ahead. Right now, you can talk during church. It's okay. So many things, right? Just one thing. I said just one thing. <laughs> so many things make us happy, and, and, and those are moments that give us great joy. They give us pleasure. They, they, they settle us down, and we say, okay, this is, this is good. But even those things can be fleeting. Even those things can leave us empty. There's, there's a, a journalist, he was named as, as one, perhaps the greatest journalist of the last century. I didn't really know him until I was preparing for this and was introduced to him, and, and his name is uh, Bernard Levin. I don't know if you've heard of him, but here's what he said. He was made it clear that he was not a Christian, but here's what he said. Countries like ours, and he was living, he's, he was living in England, he said, countries like ours, but similar to the U.S., are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there's a hole inside of them. And however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. It aches. So even as he's observing, he's seeing everything possible, everything at our disposal, and yet there's a hole inside of us that aches. And he wasn't the only one that said it in a similar way. Russell Brand of, of acting fame. Drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up a hole inside of me. Both referring to this hole, both referring to this emptiness. There's something that they're searching for. There's something that they're looking for. And what I think this whole is referring to is a spiritual hunger. It's something that can't be satisfied by the material things and, and that there's more to it than that. And so I want to lean into that and say, where is that hole? What is it that we are longing for, that we are looking for together? So when we think about this spiritual hunger, spiritual hunger, where do we find satisfaction for that? You know what Jesus said? He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's coming to satisfy that hunger. He's coming to satisfy that thirst, that hole that, that we have, that desire, that hunger. There's this Japanese woman who tried to explain in her culture that, that in her culture, it's like they have two stomachs, that the, that, the, that the Japanese have two stomachs. She says this, in Japan, it's like we have two stomachs. We have one stomach for ordinary food, for meat and potatoes and that kind of thing, but it's like I've got another stomach, and she described that as a rice stomach. She said, unless we eat rice, we don't feel satisfied. The regular stomach, 
for everything else, and then there's this rice stomach. You can eat all this good stuff, but if they don't eat rice, they don't feel satisfied. Isn't that kind of like what we're talking about here as you listen to these guys describing the hole, the emptiness? We can stuff full all these things into one stomach, but unless we fill and we feed that spiritual stomach, we're going to be left feeling hungry. We're going to desire more and wonder, is there more? If Jesus maybe it would have appeared in, in you know, Japanese culture, he may have said, I am the rice of life, right? This foundational thing, this thing that fills us, this thing that feeds us. And, and so Jesus said, I'm here to satisfy a hunger that can't be satisfied by material things. By the things of this world, there's something deeper that's going on, and Jesus offers to satisfy that hunger. But Jesus also didn't just say he was the bread of life. He said this amazing statement. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now just step back for a moment and imagine hearing that from Jesus for the first time. That'd be like me coming up here today, walking up, coming up and being like, talking and teaching and saying, I want you all to know, I, Mark Krenz, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. This place would be empty next week. <laughs> Right? You're like, if, that, if that's it, no, it's not, I mean, you, you, if you heard that and say, who, who is this person? That they would claim this. Who, who can say those kind of words? Maybe we've heard those words so much as being, you know, in the church. Maybe you've heard Jesus is being quoted to say that. But this is an audacious statement for him to make. This, is, this person's crazy. What, what is this? How can he say he is the way, the truth, and the life? This makes absolutely no sense unless he really is the Son of God. And if he is the son of God, there's something powerful to be taken from that because he definitely speaks to three things we're really looking for, right? How many of us are searching for the way? We're lost. We don't know which way to go. We, we're not sure what the future holds, what direction. Jesus is saying, I, I, I'm the way. There's not a search for truth in this world, is there? Man, there is such a, 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 a strong force in our culture to try to declare what is true and what is not true. And we're being tossed and turned and pulled in every which direction. And to be able to say, this is the truth? What a peace there can be when we can say, we know the truth. And aren't we all searching for life? I mean, isn't that what the pursuit of this life is? We want to live it. We want to experience it. We want more of the good things and the fulfillment of it. And Jesus is claiming that in him is found the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to look at those three things a little bit further today. I am the way. The way to what? The way to what? How many times have we asked? Where are we going? What's our destination? How do we get there? And we're all trying to find our way, and, and so we build our lives. The way you're building your lives, the way you're living your life right now, the goals you're setting, that's the way that you're building your life. That's the way that you're trying to live. And it's been attributed to different people, and I've said this through in, in various ways, but this idea of, you know, you don't want to climb the ladder of success your whole life, end up at the top, <laughs> and only to wonder... <laughs> Where am I and did I climb up the wrong wall, right? You spend your life building and pursuing and, and you get there and you go, is this what it's all about? And you realize, is this the wrong wall? <laughs> am I doing empty, you know, in these empty pursuits? And some of us, it takes years and years to decide and say, I've been climbing the wrong wall. This isn't success. This isn't fulfillment. This isn't the right way. Jim Carrey, I love what he said. I think everyone, he says, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I'd like to try. <laughs> <laughs> I 
at least let me try, right? But, but people who have been in these positions, and I'm going to share some of these uh, other quotes from other well-known people because sometimes we look to them or we look to Hollywood or we look to success, and they're saying, look, it's not found here. This is not the answer. Maybe we re rewind the clock a little bit to Freddie Mercury of Queen fame back in the day. And everything at his disposal, disposal, and here's what he writes, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Looking for a relationship. He's looking for something that's going to satisfy, and, and it couldn't even be fulfilled in, in human relationships with other people, even though God blesses us with these things. But how do we find that? The relationship he's longing for, whether he knows it or not, in all of us is a connection with our Heavenly Father, with our Creator. We know in life when our relationships break, life is difficult. It's challenging. It's tough. But some of us aren't aware of our broken relationship with our Heavenly Father to restore that relationship. And we come back to that question, the way to what? The way to a relationship. The rest of that verse, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How does that continue? No one can come to the Father except through me. It's the way to the Father. It's the way to relationship. It's the way to restoring that fundamental piece of, of ourselves that knows where we are rooted and where we are grounded. I am the way. Then Jesus goes on, he says, I am the truth. The truth. Now you might say, okay, great pastor, I love that uh, you, know, you have your truth, and Christians have their truth, and, and Democrats have their truth, and Republicans have their truth, and everyone has their truth, and that's kind of the society we live in, right? That's a kind of something that's taught by many, is like everyone, I know this one, own your truth. Live your truth. That sounds good, doesn't it? That is so like today. Everyone just lived their truth. You know what happens when everyone lives their truth? There is no truth. <laughs> By definition, that isn't truth. If it's truth, it has to be for all people for all time, just something we can build our life on. If it's not just, it's not just a whim, it's not just a season of my life, it's true for now, it's not true for later, there isn't life found in that. We need truth. How do we live in this truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. C.S. Lewis, one of the great uh, theologians and stud uh, scholars, studied at Oxford and taught in, at Oxford and Cambridge, wrote Chronicles of Narnia and Mere, Mere Christianity, so many great things. He said, Christianity is a statement which, if it is false, is of no importance. And if it is true, it is of infinite importance. The one thing it can't be is moderately important. If it's true changes everything. So how do we know if it's true? How do we know if what we believe and what is taught in the scriptures and the things we know about Jesus Christ, how do we know if it's true? We have to investigate it, to discover truth, to find out, is it really true? And I'm thankful that some people over the, many people over the generations since Christ have taken deep study into this, and we have to do that on our own, and I've studied it on my own. But I can rely on great scholars and, and, and people who have, who have great intellect who have come to the conclusion that it is true. Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. We'll talk about some more of that in the next couple of weeks. But it is reliable and is true. And yes, there are intelligent people who are also atheists. But let me share with you here a list of some of the, uh, you know, the pioneers of modern science that were believers. Just look at this list. Descartes, Newton, Kepler, Galileo, Copernicus, Faraday, Boyle, Mendel, Kelvin, Pasteur, Lister, Lister, I don't know, Maxwell, Simpson, 
I mean, some of these people that we have studied, that we've built uh, modern science on, they were believers. They understood that there isn't this wrestling between faith and science that you have to choose between one or the other, that the two can coexist. And not only that, they can inform each other and they can grow each other and they can deepen each other's understanding to, to study, to research. But not just these, these scientists of old. Are you familiar with the Human Genome Project? The mapping of the, the, the human body's DNA it was it's one of the most ambitious scientific breakthroughs of the last uh, 20 years, uh, even less than that. And at the head of that is Dr. Francis Collins. He led the Human Genome Project, and he's also been the director of the NIH under multiple different presidents. I mean, an incredible scientist of our day leading this project. And here's how he went on his journey of faith. Take a listen. Well, in the home where I grew up, uh, faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, my father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, when I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. But then I ended up in, in the medical school curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother, uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, she had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it, and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that face, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically, and she said, what do you believe, doctor? And ultimately, I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity. Because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis, and that in fact, given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning, and it's fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible. Uh, and many other things, including my 
beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe, something that makes you think the creator must have been a mathematician. That brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ as a person who was historically extremely well documented. That was news to me. I thought Christ was as much myth as history and I realized after reading more about it, this was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me, a journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin, but I felt I needed to, a journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my surprise resulted in my conversion. It's a remarkable, a remarkable journey that, uh, remarkable journey that he went on and to discover. If you want to know what truth is, you need to lean into that. You need to go and discover what is that truth. But the Hebrew understanding, and even in the, in the Old Testament, truth wasn't just head knowledge. And for him, it wasn't just head knowledge. It wasn't just a research project. It's something that became personal. Truth becomes experiential, something that we take in and that we begin to experience and, and, and that we relate to. And so I think about it in terms of like, um, if I have heard this example, and it's, uh, I think about, think about my wife, I think about Shannon, you know, we've been married for 23 years, going on 24 years, and if before we got married, I, she's looking really concerned right now, like, what are you about to say? <laughs> if before we got married, before I ever met her, if I was, like, going through an airport, and there was a bookstore or something like that, and I see a book, and it, and it had the title, uh, Shannon, The Most Amazing Woman. I picked it up, and I saw a picture, and I go, wow, okay, I'm attracted to this woman. I found this picture. This is, she's beautiful. Let me read more about this. And I open up the pages, and as I look at the first pages, like, ooh, chapter one, incredible, incredible compassion. Wow, yeah, I'd like to know more about that. Gifted leader, chapter two. Chapter three, fantastic cook. Charming personality, chapter five. Chapter six, ageless beauty. Should I go on? And I'm reading all of this, and I see this this woman, like, oh, man, she's wonderful. And I can tell other people I read about this woman. She's amazing. But how different being married, how different being in a relationship, how different over time where I can attest to those things and say, I know her. I know it's not just some knowledge that I have of somebody or something else. No, I know we're in relationship together. She is amazing. And I think in our faith, it's not just some distant knowledge. It's not just at arm's length, there's a Jesus, there's a God out there. Yeah, I, I believe, check, and I go on. No, there's something about, I experience this truth. I experience this reality. It becomes a part of who I am. Jesus said, I'm the way. I am the truth. And he said, I am the life. I'm the life. We long for that life. We say it here so many times because it is the foundation of our mission statement. It's what Jesus said in John 10.10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Right, that phrase, life to the fullest. Not just to be overfull and overburdened, but that freedom, that joy, that excitement of life experienced in Christ. Yes, is there more to life than this? Hope, peace, joy. These are the things that God brings us freedom where we experience that a settledness in our spirit that, that this way of life can be lived in a different way when we have that understanding of who Jesus is. C.S. Lewis, one more time, he said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I can see it, but by it I see everything else. It's an interesting 
juxtaposition there. It's not just about, I can see the sun, I can tell you that the sun is there, but it's through that understanding, through that truth, that I can live that life, that I can see the world in a whole different way, that I can experience it, that, that I can know this is real, this is true. Now, it doesn't always mean that life is easy, life is challenging, but it's how do we go through life? Who do we go through life with? How do we deal with these challenges? We lived in Arizona. I think Alice Cooper lives out in Arizona. And uh, if you remember back in, the, back in the day, he was a pretty, pretty crazy hard rocker. And uh, here's, here's what he said. He, he actually was, experienced his own conversion. He said, it hasn't been easy combining religion and rock. It's the most rebellious thing I've ever done. Drinking beer is easy. Trashing your hotel room is easy. But being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's real rebellion. <laughs> We see it's not easy in this world. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It's not easy to turn your life around. It's not easy to go in a different way. But, but it's not just knowing the sun. It's now seeing light through that sun. It's light seeing transformed in front of us. And to make those decisions and to say, okay, this is what life is like. It's not easy. But it's exciting. It's challenging. It's something where we can experience fulfillment. And we might even describe it as an adventure. And speaking of adventure... This guy knows adventure. I think for so many years, you know, I always just strived to be strong in myself. And it was as if that all I needed was me and my buddies and, you know, would be like invincible. But the truth is, none of us are. And I don't want to do this thing called life. I don't want to do it on my own. And it kind of feels like my longing for this, this light inside is now stronger than my fear of what others might think. And people often ask, well, doesn't that make uh, faith like a crutch? And, you know, well, maybe, but, you know, what does a crutch do? Uh, a crutch helps you stand, and it makes you stronger. And in that case, you know, sure, I need a bit of that. But especially when it's so much more than that, when this faith inside is also, also like a backbone, uh, helping me stand tall, and help me be strong when I'm really up against it, facing those odds, whether it's on a mountain or stuck in some jungle, or just dealing with the storms, you know, with the storms of life. Uh, sure, I need it, I, you know, I, I need that. Uh, but at heart, my Christian faith says that I am, that I'm known, that I'm known to Christ. Uh, bought at a price, uh, blessed with light. Uh, faith says that we're loved, regardless of our mess, uh, regardless of how many times we fall down and that Jesus somehow picks me up. And sure, you know, I'll reach out to that. Why, why wouldn't I? We see people's lives transformed by Christ. People that have been changed, that, that understand that there is more to life than this. And again, it's a question each one of us has to answer. It's a question that I've had to answer. And sometimes I've had to come back and answer that again in times of doubt and times of struggle and and so where are you when you think about, is there more to life than this? How are you living that life? If you're searching, if you're seeking, continue to do that. Continue to lean in to say, is this life found in the one who said, I am the bread of life. I'm the one who can satisfy your hunger. I'm the one who can, who can fill that longing in you. The one who said, I am the way. When you're lost, when you're searching, stop looking for the way. Stop looking at where you need to go and, and wondering. Find your way. In Jesus Christ, in a relationship with him. The truth, 
I can't imagine living life not being anchored in some truth and understanding, not just some truth, but the truth, and always wondering, where is it? Where is it at? When we have Jesus Christ as the one to follow, when we have his word, it gives us the truth that we can be grounded in. And when we see life through the lens of a transformative faith, we begin to see people differently, see our world differently, the needs around us. We see this life in light of eternity, and it gives us hope, and it gives us purpose, and it gives us meaning. So is there more to life than this? If we answer that question with yes, and we find that hope in Jesus Christ, we begin to walk in a different path. And so as we begin this journey, as we, as we walk through these weeks leading up to Easter, if you're a follower of Christ, I hope that today you're just encouraged and reminded again of the way, the truth, and the life in your own life. That you lean into Jesus, you give him thanks, and you say, I need to stay on that foundation and build my life ever stronger on that. But if you're searching, if you're looking, if you're seeking, lean into that. Go closer, explore Jesus Christ. But maybe even today you say, I'm done searching, I'm done looking, I'm, I, I, I want to know the way, I want to know the truth, I want to experience this life. You can begin that relationship right now in this moment where you just cry out to Jesus and you say, here's my life. Yes, Lord, I want to begin this relationship with you. I don't just want to know about you. I want to know you. I want to be in relationship with you. And you simply express your desire and your love to Jesus. You simply say, Lord, I'm, I give you my life. I'm sorry for all the things I've done. Lord, forgive me, set me free. And you put your faith in the one who died and rose again. And in that moment, life just begins. Life just begins. You begin to see differently. And that's my hope and prayer for you. Let's just take a few moments as we end our time together. Just in silence, I just want you to reflect, to spend time, you and God, and express to him what's on your heart this morning. Heavenly Father, As we ponder some of these questions and think about one of these most fundamental questions, God, about why are we here? What is this life all about? Is it just to spend a few years and accumulate as many things as we can and pursue everything of happiness and then just die? Or God, is there a purpose? Is there a meaning? Is there a relationship? Father, I pray for any in the sound of my voice who are seeking you. Father, I thank you for this journey that they're on, for this desire to, to lean in to knowing what is there. Is there more? But Father, I pray that you would make yourself known to them, that their hearts would be open, maybe right here this morning, some that just in the quiet of their heart, in the quiet of this moment, just surrender their life to you and begin this journey and saying, God, I've searched everywhere, God, but I haven't found it until I find it in you. Take my life, turn it around. Set me on a new path. Here's my life, Lord. God, thank you for giving us life. Thank you for showing us the way. Thank you, God, for being the truth. And that it's not just some set of knowledge or ancient text, God, but that it's you, a living, breathing reality in our lives that we can experience each and every day. We love you, Lord, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.